Well, good morning. Glad you guys are joining us. Uh, it's a bummer we can't all get together, but man, I'm so glad that you carved out a part of your Sunday morning to join us online. It's going to be a different experience today, as I'm sure you've already caught, and uh, for as many weeks as we have to do this, but um, we're glad you're taking the time out because we think that this is an important thing, that we carve out a part of our week every week to set aside to the Lord um, in purposeful pursuit of Him through the study of His Word, through uh, song, through communion, through prayer, and so I'm glad you guys are joining us this morning. Uh, we just finished our series, as Linda mentioned earlier, and this is what we do, and uh, we are getting back into the book of Matthew. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to Matthew 9. Uh, you can go to mymcc.info if you have another device with you, and you can click on uh, the sermon notes, and you can follow along there. But we're going to be in Matthew 9 today. Matthew 9. We, we have this cool passage that we're working on in, in, in Matthew today. Uh, it's actually where we get introduced to the guy who wrote the book. For the first eight uh, chapters of Matthew, we haven't talked with Matthew, we haven't met Matthew, we don't know him, uh, but in Matthew 9, we get introduced to the author of this book, and so today we're going to look at the story of Jesus calling this man named Matthew. Matthew 9. So let me just read it to you, Matthew 9, verse 9, and then we're going to talk about it. Just four or five verses here. It says this, as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting in the tax collector's booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. Just that simple. Verse 10, then it happened that as Jesus was reclining at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were dining with Jesus and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, the Pharisees were religious leaders in Jesus' day, they said to his disciples, why is your teacher eating with the tax collectors and sinners? But when Jesus heard this, he said, it is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire compassion and not sacrifice, for I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. With that, let's begin with a word of prayer. Will you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for the common grace of technology that despite the limitations we have on our lives today and maybe for weeks to come, that we can still gather and pursue you as one body, as one voice, that later on we're going to be able to sing and celebrate as one body and as one voice joining amongst the chorus of angels who rejoice in celebrating over you day and night. Lord, I pray that this morning might be a time of encouragement and a time of challenge, a time of growing in our faith, a time of being reminded again of your mercy and graciousness to us. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Matthew, you, maybe if you've been around church for a while, you may know a bit about Matthew. Uh, it says right here in Matthew 9, this is one of the most important things we're going to learn about Matthew that we're going to talk about today. It says this about Matthew in Matthew 9, verse 9, that he was sitting at a tax collector's booth. He was sitting at a tax collector's booth. Now this was not a good, affirming, celebrated position in life to be. 
You see, the Jews, historically, the Jews had often been oppressed, controlled by other nations. In the time of Jesus' life, they're being controlled and oppressed by the Roman government. And the Roman government had the largest military the world had ever seen up to that date. They had this massive empire that spread across what they considered to be the known um, world, the known civilized world. And they controlled these people by an incredibly huge army. Now, this incredibly huge army to oppress people required a lot of money. It takes a lot of money to feed hundreds of thousands of soldiers every single day. It takes a lot of money to have them armored. It takes a lot of money to house them and to move them around. It takes a lot of money. And so to get the money, they didn't have, you know, um, uh, tax companies that could help you work on your 1040 and submit it electronically and work through your banks. They just simply taxed people's lives. And so they would tax people's lives, and, and um, there's theories that anywhere from 60 to 90% of the income of, um, of a person in, in uh, Israel, 60 to 90% of their income was taxed. 60 to 90, it, this was oppressive kind of taxation. And the way they did it was through these tax booths that they would put around. Now, there were two types of um, uh, tax collectors. In Jesus' day, there were two types of tax collectors. There'll be a test at the end of this, so I hope that you're paying attention. Uh, the first was Gabai, okay? The first was Gabai. And, and the Gabais were uh, the most upstanding tax people because the Gabais had standard taxes, they would tax people a set amount for every individual in their family. They would tax people um, a set amount for uh, how many cattle they had. This was standardized taxing that was instituted across the uh, whole of the Roman Empire. But then there was a second type. There was a second type, um, and they were called mooks. It's kind of a funny word. They were called mooks. And the MOOCs, they, were, uh, they would do more of what we would kind of imagine as kind of convenience taxes. They would tax people as they were coming in to use the bay, as they were coming in to use a port. They would tax them for the convenience of coming into the Roman Empire, they would tax them. If they wanted to use a road, they would tax them on that road for the convenience of traveling on the road that the Romans constructed. And these were the tax collectors that were really the despised ones because these were the ones who would exploit people and just decide for themselves how much they wanted to charge for the convenience. And it was riddled with racism because if you were a part of one nation and the person sitting in the tax booth was the part of your, your traditionally enemy nation, you may get taxed three or four times more and there was nothing you could do about it because standing next to them were Roman soldiers. These were the most hated people. In fact, the rabbis of Jesus' day, rabbis of Jesus' day would teach that it was okay to lie and to cheat, but only if it was in the face of a tax collector. That it was okay to lie and to cheat, but only in face of tax. This is how hated these people were. And, and further than that, you had big mooks and little mooks. And big mooks were kind of like, um, they'd own the franchise, right? And so they're behind the scenes. And then the little mooks were the ones who would sit at the desk, and they were considered to be the most wicked, horrible people. And in fact, they were, they were rarely Jewish. The fact that Matthew is a tax collector is kind of an anomaly, 
because they were rarely Jewish, because they were seen with such hatred and, and despised so much, Matthew appears to be one of these little mooks sitting at the table day in and day out looking at his brothers and sisters, looking at his nation, looking at his family, and extorting them for money, for the, the benefit of their oppressors. These were the most hated, despicable, seen as dark and wicked type of people. They weren't allowed into the temple. There's a, there's a parable Jesus tells about a religious leader who goes to the temple, and then it says there's a tax collector, and it says he was far off because the tax collector wasn't allowed into the temple. These were despised and hated people, and this is Matthew, a Jew, who's oppressing his own people through taxation. And here's the beautiful good news of the gospel. Jesus comes after Matthew. The most unwanted, the most rejected, the most hated, the most despised man a Jew could imagine. A man who'd betrayed his own people, who'd rejected the call of God to be the people of God, to be a priesthood of believers, to be, to be a kingdom, a city on a hill. The, the person who had abandoned God's anointing on them as the people of God in this world, to be a conduit of his grace, to be a priesthood, had abandoned all of them and was supporting the oppressor. And Jesus comes to him, and he see, you, you, you got you to see the picture. I mean, this is, this is a man in Matthew who, who, who wouldn't have gone home for holidays. This is a man in Matthew whose parents probably rarely talked about him. If they had seven sons, they probably talked about their six sons and just never mentioned Matthew. This is a man who would have been riddled with embarrassment and shame amongst everyone connected to him. Every single person, his parents would have sat in bed at night and wept and said, where did we go wrong with Matthew? Where did we go wrong? This was seen as the most horrific fall a person could make. Maybe, maybe you know this. Maybe you felt that. Maybe you felt the shame of walking into a family gathering and just seeing the way people look at you different, thinking, where did... Where did we go wrong? Like, maybe, maybe you've even had a parent or a loved one say that, like, where did we go wrong with you? How have you ended up where you're at? And maybe you, just like Matthew, sit day in and day out with the sneers and, and the hatred and the, the, the anger of people all around you that you feel rejected and unwanted and unworthy. This is Matthew's life. He sits at a desk every day protected by his oppressors, having rejected his own people, abandoned by everybody. Maybe, maybe you've been there, abandoned. Maybe you've made some decisions in your life. Maybe you've made some bad decisions. Maybe you've made some horribly busted and ugly decisions filled with dark consequences. And you feel unwanted and unworthy. This is Matthew. Maybe you've made some decisions in your life, and maybe your relationship with your parents or your brothers and sisters has changed because of it. Maybe, maybe you don't go home for family gatherings. Maybe when you do, it's uncomfortable and embarrassing. This is Matthew, and this is the beginning of the good news of the gospel. Look, look don't miss this. Of the most 
unwanted Jew that Jesus could find. He seeks him out. He looks at him and he points at him. He says, you follow me. It's interesting to me that Matthew doesn't respond to a generic call of Jesus to a crowd. Come follow me. But Jesus sees him sitting in the tax collector booth and he says, I want you. The good news of the gospel, the life-giving hope of the gospel is that God looks at you and he says, I want you. You follow me. You come with me. And he does. It says he gets up and he leaves the tax collector's booth and he follows Jesus. He follows this Jewish rabbi of this people he'd rejected and oppressed in partnership with the Roman people. He follows Jesus because he said to him, you follow me. You see, Jesus is far less concerned with the brokenness of your past than the restoration he wants to show you in grace in your future. Jesus is telling you this morning, you come follow me. Maybe you sit at your tax collector's booth, your shame and your brokenness. You go, but Jesus, you don't know. You don't understand. Sean, you don't know. You don't understand. You can't even see me, Sean, in this morning. You're, you can't even see. You don't know the things I've been through. You don't know the shame and the brokenness I've experienced. You don't know the things I've done to other people. Jesus says this to you this morning, just this simple. He just says this. He says, you, you follow me. That's your call this morning. You follow me. Jesus gets pushed back from the religious people, which he does often. It's kind of the norm for Jesus. And the Pharisees, the religious leaders, come to Jesus' disciples. It's interesting that they don't actually come to confront Jesus. Maybe they've already got enough lashings from him. Maybe they don't have the confidence. Maybe they think they'll undercut his following. For whatever reason, they come to the disciples. And they say this, Why is your teacher eating with tax collectors and sinners? But when Jesus said this, verse 12, he said, it is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus came for the busted and broken and the sick. Here's the truth. Here's the foundational truth of the gospel. If you are not sick, you don't need Jesus. Now, Scripture tells us that we're all sick, that all have fallen short of the glory of God, that we're all busted and we're all broken. But if this morning, if you sit in here, And you think to yourself that there is not wretchedness and darkness in your soul. Then Jesus would say to you, man, if you think you're good, you don't don't need me. But if you find in yourself brokenness and shame and heartache and regret and guilt, then Jesus says, you are exactly the person I came for. The sick and the broken and the shame-filled, I came for you. It is not the healthy who need a physician. It's not the healthy who need a a doctor. It is not the morally upright who need a savior. But it is the broken and the shame-filled and the addicted and the rejected and the alone and the unworthy that need a savior. You see, that is the good news of the gospel. That while we were yet sinners, it says, Christ died for us. While we were consumed in our brokenness, it says another passage, while we were enemies in our minds, 
Not, not just innocent bystanders, not just busted bystanders, but while we were against God, angry at him, rejecting him, actively pushing away from him, rejecting his command. In those moments, Jesus came so filled with love and grace and mercy that he'd walk up to the tax collector's booth, he'd walk up to Matthew, he'd walk up to you, and he'd say, you can follow me. You can follow me. The last thing I want to encourage you with this morning, you actually aren't going to see in Matthew 9. Matthew um, doesn't include it, but Luke does. So if you have your Bibles, turn over to Luke 5. Uh, if, if you're on the notes, you, you can go there. Luke 5, two things I want you to see that I love. First is this. Is, uh, your Bible may have a heading like mine, or you're going to see it in the first verse. Uh, Luke calls Matthew by a different name. My heading says this, the call of Levi, and then in parentheses it says Matthew, the call of Levi. Luke uses a different name for the same man. And, and we were talking earlier, um, before we came online, we were talking about the, that a lot of people have different names. Simon was also called Peter, right? That, that people have, Saul was also called Paul. They had these different names. Uh, but um, uh, commentators and church historians have a different theory about why Matthew has two different names. And this is why. Because Levi is actually the name of one of the tribes of Israel. Levi was the tribe of the priests, Levi was the tribe of the people who didn't inherit a land, but rather inherited the right and the responsibility of being the priests for God's people, that they, would, that they would lead others in worship, that they would bring others into the temple and into the synagogue, and that they would accept sacrifices, and they would offer forgiveness for sins um, uh, through the sacrifices, and they would lead people in, in their worship. These were the priests of the people. They were a family of people that were declared to be the priests of the people. This is how far Matthew's fallen that Luke calls him Levi as like a little jab to begin with but also as a reminder of how far God's called him that a man who was called to be a priest to the people had become an oppressor of the people and still Jesus sought him and still Jesus sought him and still he seeks you but here's the last thing Matthew Oh, sorry, Luke 5, it says this. After he went out, this is Luke's recording of the same story. And noticed a tax collector named Levi sitting in the tax booth. He said to him, follow me. And he left everything behind and got up and began to follow him. So far, the story is like identical. But then it has this extra little verse right in here, verse 29. Look at it, it says this. And Levi, or Matthew, gave a big reception your translation might say something like a huge party. Levi gave a big reception for him being Jesus in his house. And there was a great crowd of tax collectors and other people who reclined at the table with him. You see, why do the Pharisees complain about Jesus eating with tax collectors and sinners? Why was Jesus um, mocked, accused uh, rightly of being a friend of tax collectors and sinners, of being a friend of the most broken and rejected, the most unwanted, those who were seen as the most unworthy in their society? Why was Jesus seen as a friend of them? Because Levi threw a party and he brought them all to him. 
Levi, Matthew, have experienced the profound grace of a good God who, because of his kindness and his mercy, invited him to come and walk with him, to find life in him, to find rejoicing, to find forgiveness and restoration and freedom. Because of all that God had done in Matthew's life in that short moment, Matthew went home and he threw a massive party and he invited all of his friends. Because you see, the truth we see all scripture, scripture the, the principle we find all throughout scripture is found people find people. Found people find people. Matthew didn't take for granted the great mercy that had been shown to him. And Matthew instead Imagine that if this God could show him such mercy, that he, would, that he would gladly show his friends mercy as well. And so having experienced the grace and mercy of a good God, he throws a party and he invites all of his friends to come. You see, the calling of Matthew is actually the end of the story of the prodigal son. Do you remember the prodigal son? Younger son wants his inheritance. Father gives it to him. He goes away and he blows it all. And then a famine comes and he's destitute and alone. And he comes back to his father and he pleads to be a servant. His father runs to him and he hugs him. And he, he says, um, uh, you know, kill the fattened calf and get the robe and get the ring. And he declares him again and his son that to be his. This, this is what's happening with Matthew. That the son who'd wandered away in pursuit of riches and wealth as a tax collector came to the end of his rope and, and came back to God and God ran to him and grabbed him and said, you are my son in whom I dearly love. But then the story goes on. The prodigal son tells us that they throw a party in the house and the older son's sitting outside. And he goes and he calls the servant. He says, what's going on? He says, well, your brother's come back and your father's rejoicing. And he, and he says, he says um, you should come in. And, he, and he, he won't. He sits in the field and he pouts. And he whines and he complains and the father comes out and he pleads with him. He says, please come to the party. You see, Jesus, Jesus is inviting you. Jesus is inviting you in this moment to come to the party and to bring every friend you can. That the reason that we still are here on this earth, the reason that we are still here in the places that we are, in the workplaces we are, in the neighborhoods we are, is because God has a party he's throwing and he has people he's waiting for you to invite. For you to be just like Matthew, the broken and rejected tax collector, unwanted by his own people, seen by a God of mercy and grace who called him to come and to follow me. That, that, that we are called, just as Matthew did, to throw a massive party and invite all of our friends and family to come and meet the Savior of great mercy. So this morning, I have two questions for you. Is The first one is this. Is have you... Have you responded to the call of God on your life? Have you heard the voice of Jesus saying to you, come follow me? Abandoning all others, abandoning everything else, come follow me. If you have not this morning, may this morning be the moment you choose to, whether you're watching on Facebook or you're watching on our church online platform, you went through myamc.info, that wherever you're watching from, 
reach out to someone. We have people on, if you're on that mymc.info spot, there's a spot for prayer requests and you can hit there. If you're on um, the, the Facebook page, you can send a message. We'd love to talk with you. We'd love to pray with you about what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. The second question I'd have for you is that if you have experienced the love of Jesus, how are you inviting the broken and busted to come celebrate at the foot of Jesus? Now, I know we live in a weird time, and we live in a weird season. Who knows how long this is going to go? And, and you may be limited about actually being able to throw a big party, right? Like you might legally get in trouble if you throw a huge party, a grand party as Matthew did, and invite a bunch of people to come over. But maybe, maybe this morning, maybe it just looks like sending a Facebook message or a text message to someone. Maybe it looks like writing a letter to a loved one and saying, man, I just, I want you to know that God loves you, that he sees you, that he cares about you. Maybe it looks like inviting someone to watch a sermon, one of ours or some other one, hear the message of the grace of God's goodness. Maybe, maybe, maybe it's just a simple invitation to say to a coworker, to a neighbor, hey, we're in crazy time. Can, can I pray for you? Is there, is there anything like real specific on your heart that I can pray for you? And in that way, invite the whole world to come to this massive party that Jesus wants to celebrate and wants to throw. May we, may we be as Matthew was, people acutely aware, aware of our brokenness. May we be a people who are humbled, who are humbled by the darkness and the brokenness we find in our own soul, but may we be a people who are overwhelmingly humbled by the grace and mercy of a God who saw us and says to you this morning, follow me, may we be a people who throw parties, who throw parties that men and women might find the Savior of grace and mercy.